Find easy ways to store your outdoor tools and accessories at Menards. Suncast provides high-quality and easy-to-assemble storage. Suncast storage sheds are the perfect solution for organizing and protecting your outdoor tools and equipment. Plus, their all-weather construction is low-maintenance. Explore all our outdoor storage options in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here tonight to talk about the Ravens' offense in the game against the Jaguars. Plenty of it in a 42-14 win. Joined today by Gordon McGinnis of PFF. Gordon, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. Great to have you on again, my friend. And uh, always, uh, you know, refer to PFF in in positive terms in terms of people getting a subscription to that. Want to make sure that that uh, people know it's still out there. Tell, I know they've had some specials recently. Can you tell me about what pricing is like at PFF for various packages? Yeah, uh, we've just had um, the the most recent special offer in, so it's it's back to what it was previously, which I think is two hundred dollars for um, for the year subscription to uh, PFF Elite, which is like the our most premium. Um, package which gets access to the grades um, on a game by game, season by season, etc. level that goes all the way back to 2006. Um, we do quite often, um, I don't know when the next planned 
offer um, is that's coming up, but quite often we have like 30% off and things like that. So mm -hmm. um, it's always good to keep an eye on our social media channels because it's always well publicized when we do. Okay. And the, the elite system is excellent. There's one level higher is the team system where they get the play-by-play -play grading, but it's just the game-by-game -game grading that you give out with the elite system. Yes, exactly. That's right. correct. All right. And, and does, the, does the team grading have more information about, uh, and I, I, the individuals cannot buy the team grading, I assume, right? Even if yeah. they want to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have it done, probably. Uh, but they, but the, the team grading includes a lot more detail at the play level? Yeah, there's, um, so you'll, you'll hear people on social media quite often refer to PFF Ultimate, and that's kind of, that has part of the kind of team-based stuff in, and um, there's a lot more kind of filtering that you can do. You know, you can look at grades based on formation. You can look at grades based on alignment and certain things, um, little things like that. that uh, and also you can filter stats and things by that as well. Okay. So I was always wondering, you know, some of the times we hear about a player getting fairly deep into the hole, like Bradley Bozeman was at the beginning of last year, let's say. And I would want to see, well, how, how did he do from week seven on on an aggregate basis? Because he really had his last bad game in week six. And you could presumably get that at the team level. Is there a way to get that at the elite level? Yeah. So within PFF Elite, if you're in the position grades, um, you can't go across seasons, but you can filter by specific weeks. So... Um, on the defensive side, for example, I I was looking at Patrick Queen the other day, mm -hmm. and I took out like his four really bad games of the year, and if you take out those, he's actually having a fairly solid, pretty you know, average linebacker, top thirty linebacker in the NFL season. But those four games, so um, to do that, once you're in the by position grades, mm -hmm. uh, you go to the season and you can then just click on the ones that you want. So okay, you use um, control like you would in Excel or something. Th I think you actually just click. Um, so if you just click with the mouse, it should allow you to. It's not. I don't know where I would have to do it. So I'm in. I'm inside his week. I have his weekly grades up. Oh, so so what to do? You can only do it by position, but you'll be able to find him within that. So if you go to um, by position, by position, and then okay, let's pick. So and then we'll go to defensive reports for linebackers. Yep. All right, and then. Let's see what else do I get here. So I've got I've got Queen in here, but it doesn't. I have minimum snaps draft year, thirty two teams. So up on the weeks, the, there the you top go. left, yeah. If you click on that, you can then filter out some things. So okay. um, I think Queen it was quite interesting. I looked at the last three as well, and the last three again, much more stable. Um, you know, you take out those really bad games he had at the start of the year, or sorry, kind of throughout the year so far, and you know, it comes in a lot more. A lot more favorable than he previously did. I think he's not quite on the first page, but snap counts also filter into that. So um, sure, filter the snap counts a little bit. Gets that. So uh, I thought that was quite interesting about about Patrick Queen. Okay, well, you taught me something new there. That's terrific. <laughs> okay, that's that's fun to see. Well, I want to get back to the Jags game here since we're since we're there and uh, wonderful lopsided win. Very much the 2019 formula. Got up big. Uh, they played good defense. I thought with the lead. And, uh, and got some things done on the pass rush in the second half, even when they were not scheming up as much rush. We're here to talk about the offense, but I thought, you know, formula-wise, that was an interesting thing. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really nice to see, you know, for a team that it's kind of felt a lot, a lot of the year like they've struggled to get into like a good offensive flow in most of the games. They've had a couple of games where it's been a lot easier that way, but it's felt like 
it's felt like the success in offense has been a lot more of a struggle this year. And this was getting back to, as you said, that 2019 formula that, you know, almost like everything just seemed to work um, mm-hmm. on a pretty decent level. Uh, and I, I think it's, I know not everyone will agree with this because people love seeing, you know, huge downfield passes every every single uh, play and every opportunity. But when the Ravens offense gets into full flow like this, so much fun to watch because there's so much movement, you know, be it with the offensive linemen moving and pulling, the you know, when Lamar can get out onto the edge, the running backs, uh, you know, and even in the passing game, you get to see receivers crossing the field a little bit more. So um, I think it's a really fun offense to watch when they get into full flow like that. When it's a bit more of a struggle, it can be a bit of a grind at times. But in these sorts of games, uh, I think it's great fun. Yeah, I, I like it too. I mean, I like to watch teams run the football effectively, and there's a tremendous amount of scheme that goes with that. Uh, I, I really love the team blocking that the Ravens do. They get much more blocking from their wide receivers than most teams get. Uh, you know, Miles Boykin is a guy who gets beat on pretty badly, but uh, I, he's been a terrific blocker through all of the receiving difficulties. Yeah, and I saw, I don't know who it was, so I, I can't give him credit, but I saw someone tweet a couple of weeks ago, and they've kind of re re re-pushed the, like, the sentiment a couple of times. Show me a good run and I'll show you wide receivers blocking downfield. And I think that's a really good general comment to make on these things, which is, you know, everyone everyone focuses on the running back in the offensive line, but what takes those runs from six yards to 16 to yeah. 26 and beyond is when you get those guys doing that little bit of extra work downfield. Yeah, very much that level two, level three block. We're gonna. I want to talk a little bit about more more about scheme later, but let's uh, get through some of the more normal stuff. And the first thing I want to ask you about, because it's all we Ravens fans care about, is what's the Ravens' most reasonable path to the playoffs? It seems like there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that can go right through their slip right through their fingers in terms of other teams giving them help. Yeah, the the best one and the most uh, reasonable one make it makes it as nice and simple as possible is Miami lose this week to mm-hmm. um, Las Vegas. I almost called them Oakland. Um, the, I, I think from what I looked at on five five 538, uh, I think even if the Ravens lose this week, if the Dolphins also lose this week, the Ravens That's will win correct. then. Because they correct. can afford to lose the, the non-conference game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Miami looked pretty solid last week against a New England team that you know the Ravens probably should have beaten. Um the worrying thing for me is that there is reliance on either the Steelers picking up, you know, where they've really struggled recently, or you're going to have to hope that Buffalo have something to play for in Week 17, which yeah, they I, won't. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a very good chance they're going to have, yeah. they're going to have number two sewn up by the end of this week. So it's a scary prospect that we could be looking at an 11 and five Ravens team who, you know, could be as good as the second best team in the conference. And they might not make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's very a very fair assessment. Is they might be the second best team in the conference. Uh, Cleveland is a little bit of a funny situation. They're still they're just into positive points now. Or are they still negative? I think they're plus six or something now for yep, the year. I think I think that's right. And and the Ravens are plus one hundred and sixteen. You know, which is better than the Steelers. It's better, in fact, than anyone in the entire NFL, with the exception of the Chiefs. But we don't play for a point differential. We play for <laughs> wins. And, and sadly, you know, the Ravens within a seven-team year could be an 11-5 and five team out of the playoffs. And it, it has happened once in a six-team year with the 2008 Patriots. 
but I don't believe it's otherwise happened. No, and it's it's not even you know, you mess out at nine and seven. You know, you, you know, there's years you can get blame in. yourself. Out, yeah, you mess in at te- mess out at ten and six, you're feeling a little bit sorry for yourself. Eleven mm-hmm. and five in a seventeen year is just really bad luck. You know, the the Ravens and the the Chiefs both had the highest uh, win total head coming into the season at eleven. So eleven is like where you put elite teams at coming into the season. Mm-hmm. And for that to miss out in the playoffs is just incredible. Yeah, enormously unbalanced conference results with <laughs> yeah. in, in large part with the NFC East playing so poorly, but maybe that's where the Ravens need to kick themselves a little bit because they certainly did beat the entire NFC East so well so far unless they lose to the Giants. Uh, but that was an advantage that was built in for them, and so the eleven and five record is really like a seven and five record against non NFC East teams, if you yep. want to think of it that way. Yeah, and you know I think the Ravens are going to look back if they if they do miss the playoffs, or even if they make the playoffs, and they're going to have to go on the road if they do. Uh, they're going to look back on games like the New England game. They're going to look back on the Tennessee game where they had very strong opportunities to win those games. Even, mm-hmm. you know, even the first Pittsburgh game. Absolutely. Uh, the difference in that game was just, it, it's a very poor um, decision-making game from Lamar Jackson. You know, his, it, it's very rare in his career that you can say his decisions probably were the reason why the Ravens lost. And he had a couple of really poor interceptions in that game that, you know, otherwise they, I think they win quite easily, even with, even with those. You know, his throwing into the end zone with the, the big hit at the end was a really good throw. You know, that that was out that was worthy of a game winning touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um so you look at those, you know, three games that could and possibly should have gone the other way and you know, we're now we're then talking about a team that is once again competing for the one or the two seed. Hey guys, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got to tell you about my bookie because this countdown to Christmas this week, they are giving away free stuff every single day. Today, when I hopped on, it was a free $10 bet on anything I wanted to bet on. So hop on. Whenever you're listening to this, head on over to MyBookie, sign up, deposit. Remember, if you use the code RAVENS, they will match you halfway. So if you put in $200, they're going to give you an extra $100 to play with, and that's on top of this daily countdown to Christmas that they're doing. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. Hop on board with the Ravens this week if you want to take a favorite. There's also some great close games going on, like the Colts and Steelers game this weekend. So make sure whatever you're doing over on my bookie, you use the code RAVENS when you deposit. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
All right. Thanks, Josh, for that. Uh, offensive line scoring. Let's get to that. I know that's always an interesting topic. Uh, I, I talk a little bit about the aggregate results because obviously it was an effective day for the offensive line in a lot of ways. 62 scored snaps. That doesn't include the two kneels at the end. There were no sacks charged to the offensive line. That single sack to, to me was a Jackson holding the ball too long in the pocket. That's the way you guys had a score too? Yep. Yeah, that was exactly how we had it. I, I, in fact, I think we we had some uh, hardies to the offensive line, but none of the no hits and the sack was the one that was to Lamar. And it's exactly what it was. It's mm-hmm. you know it's it's not something I think he's guilty of too often. Just not only um, holding on to the ball a little too long, just has to anticipate that you know you haven't moved much in the pocket at that point. Pressure's probably coming, and you're at risk of not only being sacked but losing the football. Yeah, the, the more common Jackson sack that I look at it is he turns a pass play into a run play himself and then takes a one or two yard loss or even a zero. And that ends up being a sack. And, you know, you, you, you don't charge it to an offensive lineman at that point. You might have charged a pressure for the pocket getting flushed, but you don't end up charging the, you know, the hit yeah. of the sack for that. Exactly. And so that's the way I've got it, too, with five, five uh uh, pressures as well in this game on 27 dropbacks. Uh, that's okay. It's maybe a little bit high. Uh, ample time and space, the three-second pocket, was outrageously good in this game. 56% of the dropbacks. I know you guys use a two-and-a-half-second standard. We don't want to talk methodology too much on this, but that's a tremendous number of three-second pockets for one game. Yeah, exactly. And I always find it interesting with Lamar because, you know, the time, you know, the time he has the ball in the pocket, I think it's good when you can look at the number of times because mm-hmm. the, you know, the fact that he can extend a play um, can drive up his average time in the pocket. Yes. You can look at just those individual plays and you can then see that over the course, you know, and that's a combination of the offensive line giving him time and also, you know, just you know, the defense is being, I think, still terrified of what he can do if you're undisciplined. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. By the way, the time to throw stat, there's probably an easy way to fix it is just to throw out the two outliers on either end when calculating that average. Yeah, probably. And then, and then you get rid of the, tw- you know, the one time he held the ball for nine seconds that increases his average time by, you know, 0.14 seconds for the whole game kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, no runs for loss were charged the offensive line as I had it. They, I think they might have had a run for loss on a stretch. Um, no, one illegal blindside block was the only penalty. That was a horrendous play for Patrick McCary that we'll get to in a minute when we talk about him. Orlando Brown, I, I thought he had an okay game against Kalevon Chason, who's really been struggling. Yeah, it's Orlando Brown's an interesting one because you know he's just been voted to the Pro Bowl, um, and I, I think he's a perfectly good um, offensive lineman, a perfectly good offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think at times people overvalue him a little bit in terms of thinking he is as good or you know better than Ronnie Stanley. Um, and I don't think he's quite at that level. The, the thing that worries me a little bit looking ahead is that two Pro Bowls suggest that you're probably going to have to give him top offensive line money. Um, and I don't think that's something the Ravens will do. So I, I worry a little bit that as a good, solid offensive lineman, he's possibly pricing himself out of Baltimore in the future. Pretty good chance of that, I'd say. And, and we really always knew that would happen, that you can't afford to pay both offensive tackles typically on most teams. You're going to be paying your quarterback. You can't. So it's not. it doesn't really come as a surprise. Some of the strategy around what they do this offseason in terms of do they trade him 
or do they um, uh, try and make an effort maybe to sign him early and maybe with a COVID year try and work out a deal that, you know, is, is attractive to both sides and gives him financial security? Um, I don't know what his personal financial situation is like, but he comes from a football family and a father who made some money. So he, he may, that may not really be the kind of concern for him that it is for another player. Yeah, true. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. You and I talked last year a little bit about him playing on the right side with the read option pistol being such the bread and butter for the Ravens. And Lamar usually, you know, facing the handoff to the right side allowed Stanley to make a lot of very easy down blocks um, and not have to block a guy in more space on that right side. Did I say I, I, I meant Orlando to make a lot of easy down blocks yeah. if I didn't say that correctly? But anyway, uh, and then he would move to level two. And it didn't even really have to be that much for him because he really only had to move up kind of half a level to hit that scraping linebacker as opposed to really find somebody in space in level two, which a guard often has to do. So I just there, there was definitely a, a whole different degree of difficulty last year. What's been really impressive this year is his been his ability to deal with his own limitations in terms of doing some pass blocking on the left side and kind of prove a little bit of that versatility. I, and I'm with you. I think he's, you know, a... A 65th, 70th percentile offensive lineman uh, who, uh, you know, is good, but but not the best in the league. And I think in, in a lot of ways, the Ravens need to be very careful about how they deal with him contractually. Yeah. The thing I think that's so interesting about that as well is I think people quite often get offended or upset at the notion that a player is good, not great. And especially with the offensive line it's very much like a weak link unit. If you can have, you know, Ronnie Stanley being great is fantastic. If you can have another another good player there and then some solid players, you know, it's something that you have enough, as long as you don't have bad players and players who are making a lot of mistakes along the offensive line, generally in the NFL, you're probably going to have a decent amount of success. Um, yeah. And I think that's something, you know, he doesn't make too many mistakes that hurt the Ravens. Um, and that's why I think the, the situation will be interesting. If he has, in fact, you know, priced himself out by being at a level that's going to make him a lot of money elsewhere, it is going to be a loss for the Ravens' offensive line. It's just it's one of those things, like you said, you can't. It's very difficult to pay both offensive tackles like mm-hmm. top offensive tackles in the NFL. Yeah, the Ravens have proven themselves to be excellent at finding mid-round uh, talent for the right tackle position and specifically I'm going back to Ryan Wagner you know they 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 had other people like Yonda is frankly a mid-round talent uh, it, Brown himself was a third round pick that that dropped due to combine limitations so you know lots of lot to hope for still and you know, he's a Baltimorean so maybe he, he hangs on here and I I would certainly love to see him play his career here but I'm just I, I have a feeling with other players like Mark Andrews and others who really are so central to the offensive success, I really question whether they can get it done. I, I want to talk a little bit of Brown in this game. One and a half pressures, one quarterback hit as I scored. He was the only one to get a quarterback hit in this game. He flushed the pocket forward. It was a tough charge. He could have gotten just a pressure on that. Uh, he did have uh, three missed blocks and made six of eight pulls. Now, I don't know how you guys score this, and I don't want to get, again, too much into methodology, but when they're running this counter, he has a different, difficult pull job because Bozeman, the puller ahead of him, has the easy block to make. He just has to find the first man, and he's proven to be very good at that. Brown has to find a second guy. That often means going into level two to find that man, and it can be very challenging for him to do so, particularly when the run is going the other way. Yeah, it's one of those things that... So generally... If it is a block that is incredibly difficult or it's a tricky block for someone mm-hmm. to make, 
we're not going to be as harsh if it's missed as it is for, you know, if you have a nice simple block to make and it's, it's something like that. So on those pulls, um, you know, if he loses to the linebacker or someone at the second level, he's probably going to pick up some kind of downgrade, but it's not going to be the same as if he flat misses, you know, someone that he has a very clear read on. Right. I, the more common thing I'm seeing from Brown is running into open space in level two because, he, you know, there just isn't anyone to block at yeah. that point. The flow yeah. of the play has gone the other way. All right. Going on, Bozeman, uh, he certainly finished up last year very strong. He's had a little bit of an up and down year this year, but I actually think he's he's been pretty good. Uh, one and a half pressures in this game, six missed blocks. He made what, 12 of 13 on pulls. He really drives the power run game. He's hit, connecting on a very high percentage of these pulls. And that's something I'm, I, I really love about his game. The other thing we, we don't really give him enough credit for is he's had some difficult three-tech matchups. Cam Hayward is a good one recently. But then also when he goes to the other side and pulling, he often has to block TJ Watt. So it's, 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 you, you, he gets a mixed bag of, of difficulty there that, that he often has to pick up a very good wily rush end on some of his pulling uh, opportunities. Yeah, and I think I I agree with you in the sense that um, if you were to kind of look at his year overall, you're probably going to say it was kind of solid, um, but it's been more of like up and down rather than being at a kind of solid baseline the entire year. But as you rightly said, um, some of the matchups he had has within the division are as difficult as you'll get for a guy um, at that position in an offense that asks you know, a fair amount athletically of their um, interior offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. He's uh, one of several short-arm players on the Ravens' interior line, and I've heard it said by people inside the Ravens' organization that he was on the ground too much. People accuse me of being too enamored with long-armed linemen, but that's one of the things you really notice is the shed action verb shows up in all the time in my notes for the guys with 31 and 31 and a half inch arms, but you move out to the guys who are longer and they get beat in other ways, don't get me wrong, but they, they, it's much rarer that they truly get shed because you, 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 you get shed generally by longer arm players getting you off balance and taking you to the ground quickly. Yeah, and these... So there's always these things, you know, be it offensive linemen with arm length and uh, quarterbacks with hand size and these things. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be players who have those... Uh, I don't beat the system. Fit. Beat the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're always going to be, you know, and, and they can get by beyond that. Um, like Joe Thomas, I don't think, had particularly long mm-hmm. arms. I think they were actually Marshall a lot longer. Yeah, Marshall Yanda. And Yanda was fantastic even at tackle. So, um, But there's generally a reason why scouts have these things that make those players outliers and you know it it gives you pause when you're looking at scouting them you're going to be a bit more diligent in certain things and it's because of things like that that you said that over years of watching these players play you know that generally speaking if someone has shorter arms they're going to have to make up for it in in other ways all right patrick mccary another short arm guy at center was having a really good game i thought until the play that kind of made it not so uh bad snap Recovered by Huntley, and then Huntley made a nice run on the play for positive yardage, and I forget if it was five, six yards because, hey, it didn't hold up. But then he made an illegal blindside block that was not only unhelpful to the play, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation where he just has to know the rules better and understand that he can't make a block in that situation. Yeah, I, I think it's always a little tough for players when things go, like, very much off script. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially in an offense like the Ravens, should probably you know, probably be expecting things to go off script maybe not to the point that 
someone's, uh, you know, recovering a fumble and, and sprinting off, but Lamar Jackson capable of scrambling around back there. Um, I think McCarry's a really interesting player as well because I I don't watching him play. I don't ever think he's going to be an elite center, um, mm-hmm. but I also don't think he has too many games in his career where he's a problem. Um, and and kind of what I talked about earlier, I think that's a really valuable uh, characteristic for an offensive lineman, especially a guy like him who I think came into the league undrafted. Just being able to man that, and you know, maybe he's not the Ravens' long-term center, but he also doesn't give them too many problems at that position. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and he played certainly two good games in a row after some significantly medi- mediocrity leading up to those games. Honestly, uh, yeah, the, the the where I draw the line in terms of overrating McCarry is to say, based on a half a play against New England, that he could be the right tackle whenever the Ravens need him to be. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is just <laughs> it's a way overstatement of, uh, of his, uh, his powers. And going on to powers with that segue, um, no penalties again, which has been the big bugaboo for powers this year. It's pretty much the, the way he's been downgraded as I've scored him. Uh, he did have a half a pressure in this game, two missed blocks. Uh, you know, we talk about the, the short arm thing versus the long arm thing. Powers is in the middle. He's one of the only linemen who's in the middle for the Ravens. And he has a much better time keeping his feet than the other linemen. Just if you watch them play after play, you notice McCary and Bozeman uh, are on the ground a lot more than Powers is. But very happy with his play the last few games. Yeah, and he's someone I think we spoke about last year. I think one mm-hmm. of the things we talked about was a little bit of frustration that they didn't use the time later in games when they had big leads to get him more playing time. And, you know, it's changed a little bit now. He's had a couple of rough games um, this season, but he's a guy who I think, again, similar to a lot of the offensive linemen that the Ravens have, you've generally got a pretty solid baseline from him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I wanted him to be the right guard from day one at the start of this season. Um, and generally his play this season. I think this was just another really solid game where, again, if you're if you're a right guard and you're not going to be Marshall Yanda and you're not going to be a Hall of Famer, as, as long as you're going to be solid and do your job there, um, I think that's a really good position to be in for the offense. Yeah, and, and the Ravens, in the last few weeks, one of the things that's turned the offense around is they've found their starting five now. It's it's yep. no longer an issue. So they, I, I, I know we agree on this. I see you nodding your head, but but there's no doubt about Brown is probably the would be one of the worst losses if they lost him because they just have nobody to replace him at this point. Yep. There's certainly Bozeman is driving the run game. McCarry is the guy at center, and there's really nobody uh, who's competing with him directly. Could Ben Bredesen be a guy next year? Maybe. Who knows? Could Skura come back and do as good a job? Maybe. Who knows? Um, if, uh, you know, at right, at right guard, I think Powers is clearly the guy. I don't think he's, he's at all threatened right now. And Harbaugh's made some statements that would make it difficult for him to back off Powers at right guard now, saying he's the, playing the best football of his life. And then at, at, at right tackle, they kind of had a process of elimination game going on where they continue to rotate play with Phillips and Fluker. And Phillips is kind of limboed under Fluker's level of play. Uh, and, and probably needs to be reconsidered for an interior line position next year. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing with Fluker as well, I thought this was one of his better games of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that style of game really suits him well. I, w- with the best will in the world, I don't think he's going to be a guy who, if you're losing and you're having to pass the ball more, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it's a little bit more of a concern athletically. Um, he's going to get beat fairly easily by good good um, edge defenders. Um, but in this game, when the Ravens are playing with a lead, then he can kind of uh, enforce his will on, on players a little bit with his strength and things like that. I think that's a game that really suits his, his playing style. So if they can get into those um, kind of positive uh, score differentials, I think it's the one position on the offensive line that probably worries me a little bit. Um, but if they can stay in good down and distance and good um, score differentials, then I think they can probably survive it. Right. It's I agree completely. And it's very much goes back to the Orlando Brown comments about last year is that it, the position is easier to play with Lamar if they're playing a lot of their offensive stylistic components, a lot of their, their scheme that they, they do now. And, and it's a fairly easy down block for Fluker. He's a very strong player. He can really help Powers with that down block in terms of making his block an easy get off his pins after that. And it does not require tremendous mobility that Fluker really would would be challenged by to get into level two. Now, that said, Fluker's made a lot of level two blocks these last few weeks. I've been really impressed with an increased level of mobility. I have also would say that his 12 to 6 blocking, meaning his ability to take the uh, edge defender around the edge of the pocket like his clock and take him to 6, 6 p.m., 6, 6 p.m., 6 a.m. either, 6 o'clock, um, has really been enough to get by. And and it hasn't been against zeros in terms of pass rushers. I thought it's actually been, you know, pretty good. He's played a, a, a half an, a game and a half of absolutely horrific football this year. And then the rest of his play right tackle actually, I think has been pretty good. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. All righty. Phillips eight scored snaps and yet he somehow has the play that I can't help but watch 10 straight <laughs> times whenever it comes up. <laughs> How about you? How many times do you th- estimate you've watched that? Just play? Uh, like at least at least ten. Um, it's just the I've seen very. I'm not even sure there's that many running backs that have like the level of acceleration he had the moment, and it, maybe mm-hmm. it was fear more than anything else when he picked up the ball because it was a very uncomfortable situation for him. But he just like flew like he was shot out of a cannon. It was, uh, and I think I think I saw someone tweet that. Um, on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. It was the angry run of the week this week. The angry run of the run. So, so they had the, <laughs> the next-gen stats, and you know we were always seeing these top-speed things, which I, I don't really put a lot of stock in, but they, they got him at a 13 miles an hour top-speed <laughs> on that run. But then when you figure that out on a momentum basis, it's more scary, and you understand what happened to Miles Jack on the play. Yeah, he really exactly. Got, <laughs> he really got bombed. So anyway, it was fun to watch. Uh, Matt Skura, you know, taking a supporting role at this point. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens to him in his career. Uh, seven of eight, eight of nine. I, I, I had him scored for, and I've, I've missed a play, missed a play from Skura last week. So I need to go back to the old 22 and still do my follow-up offensive line work, but that's, uh, I'm not sure if he played eight or nine snaps. Uh, it's good that he's there. The Ravens have very real depth on the offensive line at this point. I think either Phillips or Skura could take, or both could take over an interior position. They just have no depth at tackle. Yeah, and it kind of felt like that coming into the year. The The really frustrating thing was that Will Holden looked like the depth yes. at tackle, and then he got sniped by the Colts that sniped him Yes, the, the Colts, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, it was so predictable. Yeah, he played okay in the game he came in, mm-hmm. and, uh, he came in and played. So, yeah, that was frustrating just because, as you said, they have very little depth, and especially since Stanley's gone down, you know, there's really not i'm assuming it would be phillips that would probably take over at right tackle if they didn't shuffle things around entirely and put mccary out there and screw it at center or something mm-hmm. 
Well, I will tell you, you, you probably have evidence this from your own work, but you definitely get evidence that the players are watching what you're writing about them. And I get a I got tweets from Casey Holden uh, talking about, uh, you know, thanks for the for, for the grade like like I'm like this is the Patrick Mahomes rate or something like it's thanks for the grade against the uh, Patriots. I think it was where he played a half. Maybe it was Tennessee, whichever game it was. He played a half. He played pretty well. Uh, he had one penalty that was really bad. He had another penalty that maybe you could call it on him, but it was really on Andrews on the other side. But but I graded him an A on the game. And it, it was, it, you know, you hear from his wife about this. And then well, the nice thing about it is she also told me that he'd been picked up by the Colts. So I heard first on that one. And, uh, and it was, uh, was kind of cool. Apparently they did try and work something out and they just were not able to come up with a deal. I think they would have probably had to sign him for next year as well if yep. they were going to do it. So, you know, I, I don't know if that would have made sense or not, but it seems like, you know, NFL tackle depth is so difficult. Why not? I mean, you do all kinds of futures contracts with players. Why not? I mean, it would involve some guaranteed money for 2021, but. Yeah, I, it would have made a lot of sense, um, especially because, you know, one one injury um, at the tackle spot and the Ravens are in a pretty rough spot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If they if they lost Brown at this point, how do you think they'd align? I actually, Fluker, I'm guessing, they'd probably put it left. Did they play mm-hmm. Fluker at left early in the year? Um, you know, Terribly. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're then not going to move Bozeman, McCarry. I, I reckon they'd probably go screw at centre and put McCarry out to right. Maybe Okay, not and, not, and not use Phillips there. Yeah. yeah. Could, they, it might be Phillips. I, that, that's probably the part of it that I'm less sure of. Okay. All right, fair enough. Well, let's move on. Uh, talk a little bit about Lamar because you know it's certainly exciting what's been happening the last three games. After that early interception, I looked on his passer rating. I saw 133, and I'm going, "How did that happen?" You can, I, I didn't even think you could do that with an interception, but it turns out. And this is really an interesting thing about the passer rating formula. When you when you dissect it a little bit, he still got half the points from the passer rating there. For, for component for interceptions, which means a almost interception rate of almost five percent can still get you half of the half of the passer rating points for interception. It's just an interesting subplot of the formula. Obviously, it's not graded well for current interceptions level. It's not separating men from boys in the way it should. Yeah, I've always found the the passer rating thing even more than that. The thing that's always struck me as really bizarre is that. You know, if you if you if you have an incompletion on every single play, it's yeah, like thirty nine. Th- yeah, yeah. thirty nine point six. A really weird, arbitrary number for mm-hmm. you know, just spiking the ball in the ground for every single play. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it's been nice to see Lamar getting back into, you know, a lot more flow in the offense. It's definitely been a disappointing year compared with last year. I think that was always going to be likely though. Last year. I don't think last year is the only season that Lamar will have in his career that is incredible and special. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's probably, with the, the way he is as a passer, where I think he can be a bit streaky, um, I don't think he's someone who is careless with the ball as a passer. He doesn't make mm-hmm. a lot of throws that are likely to be picked off, which is why the Steelers game was such a, a big surprise. Um, but, yeah, like... I, I, it's a little bit frustrating in the passing game when he misses high a little bit, but I think he's capable of having that season he had last year again. 
And if not that, he's certainly capable of going on some pretty special runs, I think, even if it's a four or five game stretch. Uh, I just, as an athlete, I, he's one of the most, if not the most incredible player in the NFL. The, mm-hmm. you know, and you see it every single game, even the games where he's had struggles. There's two or three plays that are just a reminder that the bind he puts in defense is, is incredible. Um, and I think people talk a lot about how good a season Kyler Murray's had running the football. People have been enamored with Jalen Hurts the last couple of weeks. Uh, and as good as both of those guys are, I, I think Lamar as an athlete is just a different level. And I think right. you see that when you see opposing defenses play him, that it, it terrifies them. There are two, two things you, I kind of want to unpack in that. The first is that this Lamar has clearly been playing with some sort of an injury. It may be lingering, groin, whatever. But I had this discussion with other people on the show. I mean, lateral movement is impacted. There's no doubt about it. And that's part of the reason why they're not running as much from the pistol. They're running a lot of sidecar and letting the back be the edge threat and Lamar being an up-the-middle threat, which normally I would be very opposed to because of the additional risk I think that entails, to not have the sideline as your friend. Uh, but but it's it's a uh, it's something where I think they've made an accommodation for what's going on with Lamar's groin, and uh, it's it's just you know it is what it is. And right now the Ravens they cannot afford to um, coddle Lamar Jackson these last two to six football games uh, in in whatever level they need him to perform every week. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting with Lamar because so many people often talk about. You don't want to run him too much. And Mm -hmm. I understand that because there's really not a way of getting around it. I I think he's good at avoiding contact as best as he can. But as a quarterback, if you're taking additional hits that other quarterbacks aren't taking, it's probably going to have a negative impact on the longevity of your career. But at the same time, he is so good and so devastating at doing those things that you're kind of trying to weigh up the balance of, you know, would you rather get 10 years of Lamar Jackson being this you know, incredible threat or would you rather have 14 years of him, you know, where he passes the ball a little bit more but doesn't quite give you the same excitement? And maybe it's not 10 and 14, you know. Mm-hmm. Things might be 6 there. and 12. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's always something I really struggle with because I want to see him in the NFL for as long as possible. But... He's just so much fun when he is just full Lamar Jackson, you know, willing to take a hit, going up the middle, all those things. And like I said, I think he's actually a lot better than people give him credit for at not just not just avoiding hits. I think when people talk about avoiding hits, they often talk about going out of bounds. But there's also, a, you know, getting yourself into a position whereby the hit's coming, you're yeah. able to absorb it without it being impactful. So I think he's pretty good at that as well. Yeah, he doesn't. He do, he's done a good job of not taking hits on the legs. And I looked at all the hits from last year that he took, uh, both quarterback hits and runs. And a high percentage of them, like 47%, were with just minimal contact. And th- those included out-of-bounds plays and other plays where he slid down, a f- only a couple of those. Uh, but but the big hits he took were on quarterback hits. And, and there's, that's very hard to avoid for any quarterback. So it's the one time when you're in a very compromised position and the, the quarterback hit, the direction of the quarterback hit can be at a significant angle in the opposite direction, where most of the time, as you stated, when he's running the football, he knows exactly what he's doing about getting hit, usually by one guy, usually on the torso. You don't want to be hit legs. You don't want to be hit ahead, usually on the torso and taken to the ground uh, in, in a convenient manner for him. Yeah, and I think as well that you're absolutely right that the most dangerous time for a quarterback in terms of 
hits that are going to have, you know, kind of season-lasting damage is when you're back there to pass. You see quarterbacks, and I think as well part of it is that if it comes as you're throwing, your mm-hmm. legs are very much set to be throwing the ball. You know, you've potentially got a leg yes. planting in the ground. We've seen Joe Burrow get hit this year for, you know, he was in the pocket, got turned around and twisted like that. So it's a it's a dangerous place to be because when you're throwing the ball, you're, you know, doing so in a way that leaves you pretty unprotected. The other thing was that the sacks is that a lot of those, he's already turned it into a run play. And and even when he hasn't, even when he's in the pocket and he has to go down, he still is making some choices about how to accept that contact. It's really the quarterback hits that are the scary ones, that are the ones that usually uh, can entail some some really difficult contact. I want to also go back to the other thing, which is Lamar's ability to run around, how that'll affect his game. It's it's We have a Coach Evans on the show from time to time. You may know him, and, and uh, he has some great, words of wisdom for us all the time. But the thing I really loved about him was when Lamar loses his speed, he's going to become Russell Wilson. Is what he said is that <laughs> he's still going to be quick. He won't have the same kind of outrageous cutting yeah. ability and, and, and the speed won't be at the, at the, at the level it's at, but he'll be very elusive still in the pocket and he'll still be a guy who can extend a play. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger can extend a play. You can do it with physicality or you can do it with, with, with some speed and he should still be able to to make plays in the pocket. And the thing I really love this year is how successful Jackson has maintained um, his ability to throw under pressure. We saw that mostly in week one against the Browns. Trement- very few extensive pockets, but he had a 152 quarterback rating in that game, 152 and change, I think. And he, and he was just under a lot of pressure. And I, I don't know how PFF had it scored for that week, but I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, I can't remember the specifics, but I think it is something that, so this is very anecdotal and it's not something I've got anything that can in, in mm-hmm. any way back it up. But anecdotally, um, when quarterbacks extend the play, sometimes it's being done under duress and, you know, they're they're scrambling away. Lamar, at times when I watch him, extends plays and it's very much on his terms. Yeah. So he's extending the play not because he's being chased, but because he's decided, I'm going to buy myself some more time and space here. And I think that's an underrated thing for a quarterback. Yeah, the fourth and five play is 100% that. That was an extended roll right, and he had all the time in the world. In fact, he manipulated those two defenders, Vernon and Mitchell, I guess it was, to to come towards him on the play, and then he just made an easy pitch and catch toss. Uh, We've seen others this year, but there have also been duress ones, and a lot of the duress comes when he rolls left because no right-handed quarterback likes to roll left. It's, yep. it's, a, it's a horrible thing, horrible place to be. And he had the, the touchdown pass to uh, Andrews when he rolled left on just an unbelievable throw. He's had, he's had a, a number of throws, particularly in that, thinking back to that Cleveland game, where he made a great throw that way. But there's others. I agree with you on the fourth and five play is probably the best example, but he's had two touchdown passes uh, where he basically baited defenders on a roll right to come up and allow a tight end to be released for a touchdown. And I love that kind of thing where he's manipulating the defenders yeah. on the edge. Yeah. I, I had a really good discussion with a guy called John Costco, who um, is uh, one of our um, analysts. I don't want to give him his wrong job. I think he's like our one of our lead quarterback graders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking with him about Jackson. And one of the things he said to me in a, in a positive way was that if you have um, edge defenders who are even a little bit undisciplined um, in their lane discipline as pass rushers, Lamar Jackson can just kill you. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think you saw that in the second Cleveland game this year. You know, Miles Garrett, I think, has probably dropped off a little bit. And I think from what he said himself, I think there's some lingering COVID issues there for him that are potentially impacting his stamina. But being able to take advantage of um, really good pass rushers being a little bit undisciplined uh, is something that Jackson can can do. And when he does, can be really devastating for opposing defenses. Yeah, he had some runs left in that game, didn't he? Escaped the pocket in that direction. Vernon, I thought, did a reasonably good job on him until the big play, until the fourth and five. But uh, but yeah, I think you're right about that. Anyway, uh, great stuff about Jackson. He still seems to have some trust issues with some receivers. And I looked at the throw he made to Andrews. Uh, Between the numbers and the left hash, put up among about four defenders. Jackson, I mean, sorry, Andrews high-pointed the ball. Uh, there's no way he has the trust to throw that to Miles Boykin. No. There's no way. Same, same, same receivers or same route opportunity, he didn't ever throw it. It's a little bit like when Joe Flacco was the quarterback and he had Dennis Pitt and he had mm-hmm. Ackerman Bolden. And there's throws that Lamar makes to Mark Andrews that were the same throws that Flacco would make to those guys, which was, I'm going to put this in a general spot and I'm going to trust that you're going to go up and win it. He doesn't have the same trust with Miles Boykin. Uh, Marquise Brown has other issues, obviously, size-wise. It's incredibly difficult for him to be in in, in that kind of spot there. But I, I've kind of I've said this to a couple of people recently. I think an Anquan Bolden-type receiver, um, and maybe it's something that Miles Boykin develops into, is probably what Jackson really needs at the wide receiver position. Um, and I think it's unfortunate because I think Hollywood Brown has a load of pros to his game. Um, you know, catching, obviously, this season has been a little bit inconsistent for him to, to be kind. But if you look back on that draft, there's some receivers that I think probably would have fit with Jackson's style a little bit better. But I understand what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to build an offense where speed's going to really hurt you and speed can kill. So it made sense. Right. I, 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 there, I, I'm in agreement with that. I do want to see Jackson do one thing better in terms of throwing to Brown. And I, I, I come back to the large receiver thing in a moment is that I want to see him out-throw the defender in a way that is clear rather than worrying about Brown where Brown will be. Because Brown can get to almost anything. But yep. if you out-throw the defender by the proper amount, Brown can get there and make a play after the catch. Yep. And I don't think he's done enough of that. Uh, the ball's either coming out uh, late. And I think if he was more focused on how to beat the defender, that, that it would result in better I, I think as well, you can actually you can see the examples when he has just dropped back you know, hit his hit the top of his drop and ripped it to uh, Marquise Brown downfield. There was there was the play this week down the left sideline, mm-hmm. um, and then probably his two best throws last year, I thought, were down the right sideline to, to mm-hmm. Brown. One was against Cardinals the Cardinals, game. Yep. and the other was in the yeah the two minute game. drill against the Titans. Just yep. a ridiculous throw. So he has it in him, and you know maybe Lamar's just you know maybe it's an inconsistency thing, but when he hits those plays, it's incredible. It's just you know. The timing just looks absolutely perfect on them. Yeah, those are, those were those were certainly both great throws, and uh, you know the, the the throws he made against Miami. One, the first one was well, the first one was a, a one of the rare RPOs of the year where he actually went into the mesh point, pulled it out, and then made the throw, which was just I you know you wonder why did they ever go away from that. There has to be a reason, but why? <laughs> and the other, the other one was the uh, uh, a bomb where he out threw the defender, and it's one of the few times where he's really in his whole career that he's caught Hollywood Brown in stride 
and gave him a chance to make a big play after the after the catch. So, I you know I wish there, there, that he would do more of that. Uh, sorry about that. Okay, uh, and uh, it happens from time to time. I forget to put the phone <laughs> in the other room. Anyway, uh, accurate for the most part in this game. Bad decision on the early interception. Fortunately, Judon bailed him out with the with the safety right away. But uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we'd be upset at all if Lamar played like this every week. No, and I think for our grade on him, I think over the course of the game, I think it was like high sixties or, or low seventies. For the game. For for the game, but I think the the sample size for him in the game, you know, it was again one of those three quarter games that he played, mm-hmm. um, and he had the the interception, which was a poor decision or a late decision. And he had the poor pocket presence that led to the fumble. So he had those two plays, which you know, they uh, they hamper the they hamper the grade, you know, a little bit. And especially when you have a situation where bias, um, you know, twenty to twenty four snaps, those things are something that, you know, they have a they have a bigger impact on the grade. Um, I actually had a similar conversation with someone about Patrick Queen because the you know everyone looks at Patrick Queen's PFF grade and it's. 29 or something like that it's terrible right and it, it's just a case of the grade on the sample size is going to weight those bigger plays you know the bigger negatives and the you know games where he's had significant number of negatives so in a similar sense Lamar having a, a game where he only played about three quarter of the snaps based on the way the game flow went and you know they didn't have to pass much and on two of those passing plays had very negative plays um, it's almost something where he doesn't get the opportunity to improve his grade further up because of those things Okay, so let me let, let's talk about that methodology for a second because I know that really interests Baltimore fans. I get a lot of questions about it, and you know I understand the the splash plays versus the good plays. But let's talk Lamar Jackson's game first of all. So if he has, where is the 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 balance point for the grade? Is it sixty or sixty five? Where if he if he is above that, he is contributing to an aggregation of positives on the play. Yeah, so 60 is generally considered replacement level. Um, now, it's a little bit difficult because positions aren't created equally. Um, mm-hmm. And with the best will in the world, even with a grading system like this, you're never going to get it quite exact. Um, but generally, anything above 60 is you're at the point where you're contributing. It might not be you know, something at 65, you know, it can be that. But there's also there's a load of different ways to get to... 65 to 68 69 Mm -hmm. Um, whereas when you're looking at a grade which is 80 plus you're probably looking at a game where a couple of things happened either you really didn't make any mistakes and had a couple of nice plays or you know you had a load of really big plays that you know game defining plays almost um, for that you as a player um, were contributing to with maybe one or two of those smaller things and it's you know and it's something whereby a bigger sample size has kind of contributed to that. Okay, so I, I can understand that as a mathematician. The problem is that with Queen, I'm having trouble understanding how how which of his games are contributing to him being below the replacement level by so much because he clearly has had some terrible games, but he also hasn't had any zeros or any tens or anything like. You sometimes see a zero from an offensive lineman on PFF. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things with that that's and this is the way I was. I trying to explain this to someone last night, and they actually explained it probably better than I did. If you have a guy who grades at seventy all year, for example, mm-hmm. he'll his season grade will be above eighty-five. 70. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
with Queen, he's had four games. So the Houston game was a low-graded game. The New England game was. I can't remember. What, I think Tennessee was the other another one, and then there was a fourth one. I can't remember off the top of my head. Now the Houston Kansas game, City, he was terrible. But yeah, the Houston game, there was a. I think it was the Houston game. There was a what really could have quite easily been like a seventy-yard pass to the running back on a on a coverage he missed. I can't can't remember the specific play. Um, and seventy might be being egregious, but I think there was a big play there. Another play in coverage that um, he could have given up a touchdown that he didn't. Um, but it's also one of those things that on a season-long um, grading thing, it's generally not good if you have a linebacker who has four games that are, are really poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of difficult for him to bring that grade back up without having some games that were incredible on the other side. Um, and I, I think as well, again, you know, he's been asked to play a role that it's tough for rookie linebackers in the NFL. And especially guys coming out of LSU, I think this is something that we've seen mm-hmm. more than a few times. Devin White being a recent example as well. Sure. Guys who, you know, they react very quickly in college. And I saw, I want to say his name is Spencer Schultz, maybe. Mm-hmm. He tweeted out something today and he said that uh, he's like a coiled cobra in that he gets ready and he hesitates sometimes before he jumps um, and I think that has an impact right so you know the, the upgrade in the level of play is good and it's a, in a little way it's a microcosm of what happened last year at LSU because he didn't really start the season well and you can probably do some power five grading too and definitely had a significant upward trajectory as the year went on in terms of his own quality of play it'd be great to see this again at the pro level he's certainly an athlete that that gives you a lot of you know, what's really nice about, about him fitting in the Ravens' offense is I think he gives you tremendous cleanup skills in your, in your defense. I mean, cleanup sacks, he's already had a couple. One on Burrow, one this week uh, that, that were really great. He has some definitely some great cleanup pursuit skills that get you out of trouble. What's just the problem is, is he can't, he did not seem to until recent weeks, get his zone coverage responsibilities down. Yeah. So week after yeah. week, they're just yeah. getting boshed. There was, there was points that I was... I would go back and watch the film on him, and you'd be watching plays, and you're just like, I don't know where you've gone. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just like a little mm. bit of hesitation, and all of a sudden, a huge hole was in behind him, or he just didn't quite get to where he had to get to. So you do some of the grading for the Ravens specifically, right? So I actually don't anymore. So I now okay. we're now we're now branching into um, soccer, and that's my that's my full time role. But oh, I do well, still, good for you. I I do still. Um, because I enjoy American football so much and because I'm a Ravens fan, I, I do spend a lot of time. Like, I watch every game live and go back and watch the coach's film when it comes out as well. You don't want to feel like you're biased or whatever or have anyone insinuate <laughs> that anyway. But uh, uh, that's, that's great to hear. You've got that as a new opportunity and, and uh, you know, good to know. I had a question I was going to ask you. Oh, I know what it was. So thinking back to the early days of PFF, and I knew Neil way back then. We were in, we were in talks way back then. But... The, the plus two to minus two grading system by halves still underlies the PFF system that is then converted to these zero to 100 scales. Yeah. So, the, yeah. so the question I would have is this, is I think it would be a lot more explainable on the aggregate plus two to minus two score level to see why Queen is still negative 14 or whatever he is for the year. Um, uh, you know, at the way the grade levels were done, but you kind of lost that with the desire to put that behind the the Oz's curtain, so to speak. Yeah, I, and and I 
I, I definitely there's loads of things that I preferred about the old system. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I think was really good is you were able to, it was kind of easily explainable. You could look at a player and you could say, look, this game was a minus 10. So, you know, the next game being a plus six, you know, there is a bit of balance there, but that's why he's still minus four. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a little bit hard with this. And to be honest, another one of the things that I didn't really initially realize how the weighting worked with it and how, you know, kind of built things up and stuff like that. And it's something that people smarter than me math-wise have have put in place um and i think at times if i look at it in a way that i struggle then i can understand why other people would look at that and be like oh i don't you know this doesn't make sense because it it looks like a system that should average out so i think that's a fair criticism yeah i i think by the way i think the 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 actual the the bonus grading that occurs when you're over average for a period of time that makes perfect sense to me but but yeah. what would make even more sense is just knowing <laughs> what the underlying numbers were so so it would be graded back to the thing anyway i i wonder what the theory was behind that when they change systems i understand you want to keep some of that behind the curtain and you're probably selling some of it to the teams but if you if would at the elite package level say wouldn't it be okay to give out that actual grading again and show it, or maybe if it's out there at the elite level, then everybody knows it anyway because people blab. I I just don't know what it might have. What yeah, it, it was an interesting thing whereby, effectively, we were trying to brand, like you know, when we're trying to put things out in social media, um, and there was a point whereby we, because we'd kept the old system up at first, and we had the new system, and there was a point whereby people in the media had still had access to the old system, so we'd be tweeting out, you know, a guy graded at seventy four point three. And then people in the media would be talking about a guy being a plus 16 and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it became like a huge um, confusion in that there was almost like two sets of grading being talked about. Um, And it seemed to cause quite a bit of confusion. So um, I think we just kind of forged ahead with one at that point. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't a marketing or dollars concern to keep that grading level secret or or something else. It was just a it was just a inconsistency of grades between two systems. Yeah, and it, well, the other thing as well, the reason, the initial reason to bring out the zero to hundred, or you know, mm-hmm. it's rarely zero to hundred, but um, is that a general criticism that I think we'd had at first from a kind of bigger percentage of people was just a zero to hundred system is easier for a lot of people to kind of get an idea on how good a player is. Um, I it's why I think I really enjoyed the old system as well because obviously spending a lot of time with it. I, Mm-hmm. There's loads of things I understood um, about it. But yeah, I think that was the... All right. All right, look, it's just cool to kind of get a look behind the curtain. <laughs> I appreciate you explaining some of this to us. Any other skill position players you'd like to talk about? We've talked about a few of them in this game, but let's alternate here. And who would you like to talk about that we haven't so far? I, I like the fact, as much as I you know, ragged on the fact that height-wise and he's not the most physical receiver in the world, I think Hollywood Browns had you know the best stretch of his season. And, you know... He's looked a lot more, maybe not in the Cleveland game, I'm probably giving him a bit too much credit for the explosive play that won the game, mm-hmm. but he certainly looked a lot more explosive in the last couple of weeks than he did at the start of the season when there was a lot of inconsistency, a lot more drops. The Cleveland game obviously had some drops, but he bounced back. I thought that this was a game, the interesting thing about going into this game is that Jacksonville, I think, had allowed a 100-yard receiver in every single game. Yes. In, or or in, almost every single game coming into that. And I want to say he fell, what, like two yards short? I think he was at like 98 or something by the end of it. 
So that was a little bit annoying because it would have been nice to have kept that streak going. Um, but I think the play down the left sideline shows that when him and Lamar can get their timing right, they can cause defences some pretty significant problems. And the one thing coming into this year that if Brown had taken a nice big step forward or the two of them together had taken a nice step forward, um, I think that just poses another huge problem to opposing defences. Right. They did have a, there was a long pass interference play on Andrews, but I can't remember if that would have taken them off over 100 yards. Yeah, it was 36 yards on Wingard, so that would have taken Andrews to 102 too, had that been a complete. Oh, actually, probably more than that. I I did get a a tweet here from a friend of mine says they used the the pony backfield three times in the game uh, in this. Uh, interesting. So they, they, it's something we've we've seen a little bit of from the Ravens last year. They didn't actually run a single snap of pony during last year's regular season, but it's it's a maybe another concession to what's going on with Lamar, and also maybe another uh, concession to the fact they no longer have three tight ends they can put on the field. So they have to find some additional ways to scheme up uh, different ways to attack the defense. Yeah, I think I've liked the fact that they've been a little bit more creative with certain things. There was a load of criticism about them. Um, their success or lack thereof uh, out of empty sets. And you've seen them now, the two-point play against Cleveland, and then it was a touchdown this past week, I think, where they motion Dobbins out of empty and hand the ball to him. And I think doing stuff like that, that you give defences something extra to think about. And I, I always think that the biggest thing in the NFL these days is try and put linebackers in a bind. Um, and I think the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks, the Ravens' offense has kind of got back to doing that a little bit more. Yeah, we certainly saw it in that Cowboys game. And, and uh, th- these three games, I mean, they've scored 121 points. That's, uh, that will do it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's really – the defense can play pretty much at any level if the offense is scoring like that. The defense can, can play with the lead. And you know, some of the, a lot of the things you talked about earlier, it just becomes a lot easier to play football with the lead. Yeah, I, I also think you know, if the goal is to go and win a Super Bowl, which it always is, mm-hmm. people have spent a load of time talking about how the best way that you can – play against Patrick Mahomes. The best the best way to play against Patrick Mahomes is score 40 points and mm-hmm. give you a chance. Um, if you're trying to win a game 25-20 against Patrick Mahomes, it's probably not a winning strategy. So if this Ravens offense can get to the playoffs, can get a game against the Chiefs, and if they can score 30 to 40 points in that game, they have a reasonable chance. Um, I think that's a, that's, that's a really important point, I think, when people talk about the way that you want to play against Mahomes so much more about what you do on offense than it is on defense, I think. Right. I, I agree. And, and, you know, one of the things we've seen from a lot of the great def- the great, a lot of the great teams from recent years, be that Denver when Manning was there, Indianapolis with Manning, um, New England with Brady, Mahomes certainly now is the case. They're all absolutely marvelous at bridging the first and second half to try and get back to back two turns in a row, so to speak, where they would get a couple of drives. Lamar's He's mastered the two-minute drill. And you know, part of that is just he seems to be better when he's under a little bit of duress or is made to not think about what's going on in a different way. And then the third quarter, the Ravens often have come out strong as well. That back-to-back kind of strategy, I think, is, is one of the things we've seen from a lot of the great teams in recent years. And if Lamar can continue to, to, to build on what he's done successfully there, it'd be great. Yeah, I, I think it's a really great point because if you, let's say you can score a touchdown either side of the half, you know, mm-hmm. two-minute touchdown and then score in the opening possession. If you're looking at realistically in the playoffs wanting to get yourself to 30 points, 
those two drives gets you halfway there. And yep. it's just, you know, it, it's a huge bonus that it's also time that you, know, you can score quickly like that. It's it's tougher for your opponent. Yeah, it, it certainly, it changes what they thought they were going to have to do going into halftime. So, you know, you may get even an adjustment value out of it that's that's uh, positive. You probably did make adjustments yourself to figure out how to re-script at the beginning of the half. I, I've often been... Um, I don't know if, I, if the word is quite critical because Duvernay is now MIA from the offense in these last few weeks. And I really would have liked to seen him continue to be included if they can make it work. But they were getting him a lot of scripted throws. They got Boykin some scripted throws as well. Now it seems like the scripting that they do is not as much about that, but it's more about scoring a lot of points and winning the game as opposed to trying to figure out how to get them, the other team worried about multiple weapons. Yeah, I- and I think people this year have spoken about the fact that it felt at times like the Ravens and Lamar kind of wanting to prove people wrong on a bunch of things that they has been said about the offense and about Jackson as a quarterback. And I think it now very much feels like you said, like they've reached that point in the season that they just don't really care about anything else. They don't care what you want to say about them. They're just going to go and try and win games. Um, and it's good because I think that's when, when they're at their best, when, you know, they're just playing kind of with no no concerns about anything. Just go and just run the offense the way you run it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it, last year in terms of football, it's an overstatement, but it's not too far off that. I mean, they're a historic offense. They're like the Harlem Globetrotters. Just go out there and play the way you want to play. Don't worry about the way they say you ought to play, and, you know, you'll be good. But anyway, uh Positive. I'm, I'm. I am a little sad about Duvernay not being part of the offense. I'm probably even more sad that uh, Des Bryant is part of the offense because I don't really think he's providing the Ravens with anything they couldn't get from other receivers. I was happy to see him make a couple good run blocks in this last game because, other than that, he really has not provided much as a receiver certainly since he came here. Yeah, th- there's only one play that I think. I think his touchdown was something that there was a little bit of veteran savvy. Um, mm-hmm inability to come back to the ball that I'm not sure other wide receivers in the Ravens roster would have made that play but certainly earlier in the season when he when he first made it onto the active roster and they were forcing the ball to him on wide receiver screens that were picking up three four yards it was that again felt like you're kind of trying to force something here that is a player who hasn't been on the field in you know two years um, I'm not sure if it's necessarily the best the best course of action but if you can get some plays like you saw in the touchdown, that little bit of veteran savvy um, might give them something they don't have at wide receiver. You know, it's it is a, it was a unusual play because Lamar is very good at making a throwing lane with his feet inside the red zone. It's it's the central reason for his enormous success is that he doesn't have any fade routes. Basically, I think they they threw one to Hollywood Brown this year, and I was like, you know, this it's the first one they've run in two years here. But with with Dez. He's being a size receiver doesn't isn't the thing that's going to make him valuable in the end zone. It would be being a wily receiver, and I do think players like Duvernay, uh, players like all the frankly all the tight ends that the Ravens have had also brought that. Like Boyle, he had a touchdown earlier this year. He had the touchdown last year against um, Buffalo that was on that kind of a shot put throw. You know, what I'm talking about that he that he yeah. bobbled it a couple times going down. Uh, you know, it, they don't need to, you know, create fade opportunities for receivers. They don't even really use zipper throws very much. But when they do, it's Andrews. Uh, it's it's all about Lamar basically maneuvering until oh wait, there's a straight line between me and this guy. I'll throw the ball. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, let me ask you one more thing. Chris Moore or Des Bryant, who should be active this next week, assuming that's a choice they have to make? Uh, if Moore is healthy, I think I probably would have him. Um, again, some of the little things I think you probably want to... don't even know how much you're going to use him on offense, but you know you're going to be able to use him on special teams. Um it's difficult, like I said, I think that was a nice play by Bryant, and if you can get that on offense, that's, you know you might have a couple of plays where you need something like that. Uh, but I think Chris Moore probably contributes more overall. Okay. Des Bryant now 3.9 yards per target for this year. <laughs> He's got a 50% catch rate, which exactly matches his last three seasons at Dallas, so that's probably over expectation. I'm, I'm, just, I'm having trouble finding a reason to keep this guy around. I, I, you know, I know they say he's been good and being, you know, teaching other receivers and whatnot. That's one thing, 35, 32 snaps per game, whatever they've been giving him, you know, for a couple of his big weeks just seems like really overdoing it. Yeah. And, and also I don't want to see them force the ball to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an offense that passes are going to always be a little bit limited um, compared with some other offenses. And, I like seeing Willie Sneed get four or five targets a game because I think mm-hmm. he's really solid receiver, can do some solid work over the middle. I would not want to see it continue whereby Des eats into two or three of those targets for Willie Sneed. Yeah, or or even into the snaps. I mean, I'm I'm Sneed provides a lot as the motion player and what he can contribute to a level two or three block on a run play. And I just I I'm I know Des has done a little bit, but I, I just there's so much more that a player like Sneed can give you than a player like Bryant in terms of snap count. And, you know, whoever you think deserves more snaps on the Ravens right now at receiver, they're probably giving up some to Des Bryant. Yeah, between between Duvernay, especially Duvernay and uh, and Sneed and Boykin. Yep. Yeah, those three. Yep, they're 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 losing ground. All right. Well, Gordon, we appreciate having you on tomorrow. I'm going to have to, to uh, set the mailbag aside since we've gone over by a fair amount, but we really appreciate you taking the extra time. Always such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Glad to hear about your new opportunity at PFF. Tell us about folks where they can find you on Twitter and, and where else people can contact you. Yeah. So um, on Twitter, you're going to get me on at PFF underscore Gordon. Um, right now with this new new role for me just now there's not a lot of in fact there's no writing going on um you'll still catch me tweeting about american football you'll still catch me tweeting about the ravens um but yeah twitter is definitely the best place to get hold of me okay very cool uh any other features or articles you have coming up any are you doing any more football work at all uh, i'm really not um i am okay. i'm fully now uh, i've got a fairly senior role on this side of the company so um it's good. It was it was a difficult decision for me. I ran our social media last year. It was the second time I'd done that, and um, it's a difficult decision for me because I love both sports. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of people have like a favourite sport. Grew up in Scotland, so I've always liked the the soccer version of football. Um, but since a teenager, I've been in love with the American version of football as well. So. Um, yeah, one of those things whereby it was an opportunity that came up, and you know, thankfully, I still get to be involved with PFF, so I can still do. I can still see a bunch of the grades and a bunch of things like that. And I still get plenty of time to watch football, which is really a good thing. Very cool. Okay, so I know it's it's uh, after 10 o'clock over there in Scotland, right? Yep. yep. And are you in the Edinburgh area or somewhere else? Uh, I'm in Glasgow, so it's like maybe about an hour outside of Edinburgh. Okay. Um, All right, yeah. very good. 
my, my ancestral home going way back. Not that that matters, <laughs> but generations ago. I'll tell you a little bit more about what's going on at Film Study Baltimore this week. We've got the offensive line article that will be out on probably Thursday this week. Know Your Foe is the next recording we'll be doing. Uh, we have a good guest from the Giants for that. Obviously, a, a challenge of a game. What do you think about that one, by the way, Gordon? It's the... It was the one I highlighted and circled a couple of weeks ago as the one that worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Giants are a little bit better than people think they are in terms of they can cause you some problems on defense. They gave the Seahawks some big problems, though I think the Seahawks have dropped off quite a bit. Um, and I also think Daniel Jones, if he plays, can offer a bit as a in the running game as a quarterback, which always just, as I say, puts the bind on opposing linebackers and... You know he's not he's not Lamar Jackson, but he can still cause you some problems there. So uh, it's one that I still think they'll win. Uh, it just worries me just a little bit. Let me give you one more what if. I mean, this seems to be a good week. If you really don't trust Patrick Green in terms of zone responsibilities, do you trust him as a spy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that would be an interesting way to to do that. Have him spy Daniel Jones, and I think as you said earlier, a lot of the cleanup stuff he's done. I think when he has something that he can focus on and react to I think that's when he's at his best um, so yeah that, that might be a way that allows him to have a really um, impressive game all right well uh, thanks again all the methodology stuff very cool uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and we'll talk to you next time on film study thanks for having me on When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.